You are listening to the Beyond the High Road podcast with Shelby Milford, episode number 14. Welcome to Beyond the High Road, a podcast dedicated to healing your heart and life following the grief of alienation. I'm your host, Shelby Milford, a twice-certified life coach specializing in post-traumatic growth. I'm also a target parent who felt like my identity in this world left me on the very same day that my sweet child did. After hitting my emotional bottom, I devoted the next six years to research and personal growth. Using proven concepts based heavily in neuroscience and psychology, I developed my own playbook for reintegrating with life and reframing my role as my daughter's mother in the midst of living apart from her. I went from feeling agonized, helpless, and directionless to feeling energized, confident, and most importantly, at peace. Today, I get to help other parents like you to do the same. If you're experiencing the effects of alienation and you're ready to heal, then this show is my love letter to you. Stay tuned. Hey guys, just a couple very quick announcements. First off, I'm hoping that you guys actually have a pleasant listening experience today because I finally got a high quality setup here as far as my mic, all of the accessories and studio, if you will, needed so that there's not the like fading in and out that pretty much took over the first 13 episodes. So the sound quality should be much, much better today and moving forward. Okay. So just wanted to put that out there for you guys. You know, like when you wash your car or like when you get like a new accessory on your car, like back in the day and you you feel like it drives faster. (laughs) That's kind of how I feel here today. (laughs) Okay. And then my second announcement, it's like a second and third announcement together, is if you haven't hit the follow button and you're liking what you hear, please do so. And also, we're doing a monthly drawing. If you submit a review, then you will be entered into the drawing where I'm giving away a free month of the group coaching program that is going to start on February 1st. Okay. And so I have come up with, I think what I'm going to do is do an introductory price for that. This could change, but for now, like if you're early bird starting next week, because I have to get the website up so that you guys can do it, but it's going to be $99 a month, which is insane. The amount of value that you would be getting from this or you will be getting from this is so, so much, like easily like hundreds of dollars worth of value that you'll be getting each month. Actually over that, you're getting group coaching sessions, right? And you're getting a whole monthly course, right, that we're going to be doing and workshops throughout the month separate from the group coaching calls. And also we're going to have our own private community so that you there's like fellowship. There are so many different perks to this. And so $99 is, I mean, I am so excited for it. It's just, it's like, it's no brainer. I would think like if it was me, I think I told you. In the beginning, I paid for two different coaching programs at one time that both offered like very similar, if not less, um, perks. And they were $300 and $400 a month each. So there's going to be so much value in this program. So I'm really excited for you guys. I'm excited for me. I'm excited for the whole thing. Anyway, like I was saying, when you write a review, then your name, I'll take your name from there, enter it into the monthly drawing. Okay. And whoever it is will get a free month of 
the program. Okay. And that's all I have for you. Let's get started. Let's get, let's dive into this last part three of habits. Okay. So here we are in the long awaited part three of habits that hinder our healing. If you haven't listened to the first two, it would be very helpful if you did that first. Today, I'm going to give you all of the tools basically to do it. Today, we address things on a more personal level for you. When I left you last week for part two, my question to you or my homework for you was to get very clear and aware, start noticing why you're drinking. Like what benefits are you receiving by having a drink or having your numbing agent? For some people, it is it provides a sense of comfort, a sense of vacation reward right? It's the end of the day. You want to drink because that's your sticker at the end of the day, your gold star, right? Some people drink because they just want to escape the problems that they have, right? Hello, alienation. I mean, it's honestly a great reason to want to to escape, right? Let's go have a drink to forget about reality, right? There must be benefits or else you wouldn't continue to do it, okay? So it's important to understand why why you're drinking and when you're drinking, what your cues are, your specific cues. Like we're talking about Pavlov's experiment. We know that the dog's drooling happened when the click clack of the clogs came down the stairs to start. And then it was the bell. So it's important for you to know when you have the urges or the desires, right? Because once you know then we're able to incorporate your prefrontal cortex, the human part of your brain, to address, answer the objections that your lower brain and the excuses that your lower brain is going to give you in the moment. And we're going to answer those ahead of time. So your triggers are going to come up like they do. Things are going to happen. And inevitably, you're going to have a desire. You're going to have urges, right, to drink or to eat or whatever it is. And so as opposed to just padding your environment, protecting your environment, and not introducing yourself to the world, basically, you know how if you've ever been in any sort of recovery, they always tell you, you know, avoid people, places, or things that might be a problem for you, like old habit places. And that's great and all. Like, I absolutely believe that you want to surround yourself with like-minded people or you want to be around people that have similar goals. That's one thing. But the problem I do have with that is then you're always having to control your environment. Then you're having to, like, cut off the world around you just because you're deciding to change your habits, to change the way that you show up in the world, right? But you're not exactly living in the world if you're not showing up in the world. Like you're only showing up in specific places, right? Then those people, places, and things that you used to frequent while you were doing the habit, then those things have control over you. And that isn't exactly reprogramming your brain or living in reality. You're living in a controlled environment so that you don't have to ever be tempted. And so really that isn't like claiming your power. You're just cutting those areas out in hopes that they don't show back up somehow, right? This doesn't 
it doesn't really fix the problem. So we need to be able to be in any situation and be okay and know that we are still in control and the habit doesn't control us or haunt us. So just like I was talking about the first step of a 12-step program is we admitted that we are powerless, right? But alcohol or a drug even doesn't have any power until our human brain gives it power, right? And if we are able to exercise this, the, the power of our own brain, the planning and discerning capability of our brain, when we can incorporate our prefrontal cortex into whatever scenario we're in, in any moment when we're having an urge, then the alcohol or the drug or the food doesn't have power over us. It only has the power that we give it. Okay. And this really isn't like mind over matter. Well, it is, I guess, because it is mind over literally matter, but it's not about a power struggle here. It literally has no power until we give it there. Right. So I think it's super important to incorporate planning. I don't think it is. I know it is. It's imperative to put a plan in place for when inevitably these cues show up for us. And they will. And just know that, too. When you first start this, you're going to feel like, you know how like when you are like shopping for a car and you never see this one particular car on the road before you started considering buying it and then you see it everywhere. It's going to be the same thing, but like on steroids with cues that show up for you now that you want to quit this thing or or just do less of this thing. As a side note, just know that it is possible to use this program to stop over drinking, stop overeating, or stop overindulging in whatever habit it is that's keeping you from living the kind of life that you want to live. But, well, I'm going to tell you how I was taught to do it, and then I'll share with you how I did it and how I do it, okay? So there's like two ways of doing it. I think one is much easier, my way, and then the harder way. Okay, so back to where I was. Now that you want to quit or do less of this thing, you'll notice more triggers coming up for you, okay? This is a learned skill that you need to practice. It might be helpful in the moment to remind yourself that like the first time that you learned how to ride a bike, you were not good at it. You probably fell. And then depending on how often and how long you practiced for, you got better and better and better and better. This skill is the same. Any skill is the same. You have to practice in order to get better at it. So just know now that if and when you screw up in some way, and by screw up, I mean you just you give in to yourself, it's okay. It's okay. You can actually use that to get better. Like the screw ups are really, really good because you can use those to learn information about why you did it. You can learn so much about yourself in the screw ups. This whole nonsense where you have to start all the way over whenever you screw up or whenever you fall off the wagon, as they say, that does nothing for your progress emotionally and mentally, okay? It's not a helpful way to look at things. At least it wasn't for me, okay, to look at things like, oh, I have to start all the way back over again. Because when you think that, I mean, what's the likelihood that you're going to like actually get back on, quote unquote, the wagon, right? It's going to be more difficult or you're going to 
you know, want to make your screw up worth it. Remember, you know, saying stuff like that. So it's not helpful at all to beat yourself up around the mistakes. Instead, you can make them useful and learn from them. Okay, let me get to the point. So the urge or craving by itself is completely harmless. It can't do anything. It cannot hurt you. It has no power over you. I used to think that the second that I had the urge, it, I was done for. Like I was a victim to the urge. I thought that if I had the urge, that it would just keep hounding me and keep hounding until I finally went and gave in. And so when a trigger happens, and it will, like, for instance, what would get me triggered? Well, a lot would trigger me, really. But I know that I would get triggered in moments of stress. The second that I was stressed, I was like, oh, my gosh, I need a drink. I need a drink, right? In the moment, I know that my brain is going to tell me that I need a drink. But what I know now is that just because it tells me that I need a drink doesn't mean I need to listen to it, okay? I used to think before learning this skill and actually before I learned how to manage my mind at all, I truly believed that if I had an urge or a desire that I had no control over it. It didn't, I didn't even ever consider, it didn't even occur to me to consider that having the thought didn't mean that I had to act on it. It didn't have to drink. Okay. So when the desire comes up, remind yourself that you don't have to buy your lower brain's story telling you that you need to have the drink or you need to eat the cupcake, okay? Like humans are the only ones, we are the only animal that can, we can actually watch our thoughts go by and we can decide, we can discern in the moment whether we want to believe our thoughts or whether we want to just watch them, notice them, and be there with them, learn from them. I think so many of us, me included, I went through life very, I was oblivious. I did not ever think about what I was thinking on purpose, right? For the sport of learning from myself and learning from my thoughts. Never, ever, never did that right? I didn't know that that was, I didn't know what the benefit, I mean, I just never considered it. But yeah, so when you have, you inevitably will have the urge, it'll be something like, if it's drinks, right? Uh, you know, you're like, oh gosh, I'd really like a drink right now. I need a drink right now. Oh gosh, like I really, I really, a drink would be the best right now. And then it's all of a sudden, it's fuck it. And you do the thing, right? You drink the drink. So instead, what I want to offer you is that you watch your brain go through that. And instead of hitting the fuck it switch, just notice it all. Just allow the urge to be there without answering it, without having the thing, the drink, the, the cookie, the, the few puffs of a joint. So yeah, so you want to become aware of when the triggers come up and know that you do not have to just do it just because your brain introduced the thought or the, the desire. You don't have to follow it. You do not have to give in to the urge. But the one thing that is also important to remember is that resisting the urge will not work ever. It will not work. You cannot, you know, like white knuckling it using willpower. You will end up obsessing about it more 
in the end or you'll end up giving up because you feel like you've been depriving yourself of something. Okay, whether that's that day or, you know, later on down the line, but you won't be able to last. I was talking about that, I think, in, in part two of this. But if you have the urge and just watch your thoughts around the urge and just remain present and become almost intrigued by the urge, intrigued by the lower brains, the thoughts that it's offering you in the moment can be pretty humorous, actually, because it will start off with just the basic, oh, I need a drink. Oh, I'd really love a drink. And then it'll get really tantrum-y. And then it might even start pulling in the like, you're going to die if you don't have a drink. Or it's it'll try all the ways. It's like almost like, you know, bargaining with a four-year-old. Or it can be mischievous, too. And like a little con artist, right? It'll, it'll try every angle until it finds what works. And it's doing that because like I was, we were talking about in the first and second part of this, this is your brain's way of protecting you. It really truly thinks, because it's your lower brain, remember, it really truly thinks that you're going to die or something bad's going to happen to you if you don't drink or if you don't do the thing, okay? So it isn't out to get you, but it's going to try to tell you that things are out to get you unless you have the drink, okay? So you just have to, like, I like to find the humor in that. I like to let that entertain me. And the second that I become the watcher of my thoughts, I've said this before in previous episodes, the second that I take that role as opposed to being at the effect of this urge or this thought, when I take that stance, which is an active stance, I already feel relief right? I don't feel like I'm a victim to the thought or the urge. Okay. So yeah. So watch your thoughts around it. This is a skill and you very well might fuck up. Okay. Here and there, especially in the beginning, you're learning. It does not mean that you can't do it. Your brain is going to want to tell you, it's just like I was talking about in the last episode, that your brain's going to want to tell you, see, This is another reason. This is another piece of evidence to show that you can't do this, but it's lying to you. Don't believe it. Okay. You have to have the fuck ups to learn about yourself and to learn in which situations that you are more prone to give in so that you can use that information for the next time. Does that make sense? All of this, think of this whole process as collecting information, right? Like a, an R&D, like a research and development project, okay? So it's not about passing or failing. It's just about collecting information about yourself and, re, you know, like using the information to, to improve your efforts for the next time, right? So you're just constantly collecting and utilizing the information that you get, okay? So it does not mean that you can't do it. The second that you go into that judgy, shamey place, you're, you step out of the place of learning about yourself and you, you, you go into a place that's just not helpful for you, okay? So always, always try to stay in that inquisitive, curious, and wanting to learn, eager to learn place, okay? All right, so that's basically step one, okay, is you want to interrupt the thought by not believing, so you'll have the urge, and the urge is, I need a drink. And you're going to interrupt that thought, that urge, by saying, 
do I? Do we really need a drink right now? Saying we, talking about you and the party in your head, right? But like we already decided we weren't going to do that, right? And so that is you recruiting your prefrontal cortex and starting to actually analyze, look at what's going on, right? We already decided we weren't going to do this. But it's okay that the feeling, the urge is here. We're going to learn from it. We're going to pay attention to all these thoughts, all these objections to this, and knowing or reminding yourself that it's all going to be okay, right? The urge, the feeling in your belly and in your chest can be present and you don't have to act on it, okay? Very, very, very important to know, to like intellectualize while you're in the moment, okay? So the urge is harmless unless you choose to be a victim to it, unless you choose to give in to it, okay? And then if you've decided that you don't want to completely quit drinking, what you need to do is decide your protocol ahead of time, meaning you, you want to plan your drinking events. If you've ever yourself done any sort of eating plan, right, or you know anybody that was on one, then you know that like you plan out your diet ahead of time, like your meals for the day, right? This is the same way, except for you want to plan any future drinking events 24 hours ahead of time or longer ahead of time. So no spontaneous drinking events at all, okay? And here is why. Because you wanting to drink in the moment is that fuck it switch, which is your lower brain, okay? And we don't want to use our lower brain during this time. We don't want to use your reflexes. We want to use your planning part of your brain, your executive functions. This is super important in order for you to develop this new skill, okay? Because if you set out to quit and then a friend comes, oh, come on, let's go have some drinks, and you give in and you keep going to do things on a whim, then what you're telling your brain is that you're not serious about it. You're creating more evidence for yourself, like I was talking about in part two, to show that you can't do this now, okay? I mean, like I said, there might be times when you do, when you do give in, but if you decide now ahead of time that any drinking is going to be planned out at least 24 hours ahead of time, then you are using discernment and your prefrontal cortex. You're using your, your planning part of your brain, which is where you are most in control of yourself. And once you learn how to do this, your lower brain will pick this up, just like your lower brain has picked up the habit of wanting to drink in certain situations. This too, like the default of not drinking and not going on a whim or giving in to somebody that wants to just have drinks, go to happy hour, not drinking will become your habit, will become your default, okay? So, but you have to go about it using your executive functions, okay? And coming full circle with Pavlov's experiment, when they began the research, they inadvertently noticed that the click-clack of the nurses or the assistant's shoes coming down the stairs triggered this response in the dogs. They started to drool, right? Because they knew that the click-clack of shoes meant that they were going to get fed right? That meant food. The way that they unprogrammed this conditioning was by not bringing the food. So they would ring the bell and then they would come in and they wouldn't have food, but the dogs would be drooling. 
They would ring the bell, the dogs would be drooling, and they wouldn't bring food. They would ring the bell again, the dogs would be drooling, and they still wouldn't have food. Well, eventually, the dogs stopped associating food with the bell. So they eventually stopped drooling. That natural response, salivation, stopped. So the most important part to remember in all of this is that when unlearning this response, the dogs didn't resist it. They didn't resist the craving. They didn't know how to resist the drool, right? So they just sat with it. They had no other choice but to be with the craving. But it's not like they died. Nothing happened to them. They just allowed themselves to crave the food, to drool, right? And eventually, their brains just stopped associating the bell with food. And the same thing will happen with you. Eventually, your lower brain, your habit part of your brain, will stop associating these specific people, places, things, thoughts with having a drink, okay? It will happen, but you can't fight it. Instead, you have to teach it using your prefrontal cortex, okay, until it learns. And once your lower brain learns, then it will be the default. So where the dogs were drooling, your thought or your urge is the same thing as drool. And the feeling in your belly, right, that's the same thing as the dog's drool. So you can have the thought and you can have the feeling in your belly. That's your drool, if you will. And you won't die from not answering. So you want to make all decisions ahead of time, okay? So that you stay in your prefrontal cortex, in your discernment and planning skills, okay? Because when you flip over to the lower brain, then that will start to take over. And then you're not exercising the part of the muscle that we're trying to develop for the skill that we're trying to learn. Your systems are very efficient and very skilled at deferring to the lower brain. Your habits are ingrained like second nature to you. But now, if you want to quit using your numbing agent, you need to unlearn that habit by noticing the human form of drool, right? And not judging yourself. The dogs weren't able to judge themselves, right? Same thing here. We have the same reward system set up in us that they do, right? So just allowing it to be there without pushing against it or trying to fight it, okay? And knowing that an urge doesn't last for but just maybe 90 seconds. It's just like comes in, just like emotions. It's a, like a wave comes in and then it sort of flows out. And there's so much learning that can come of watching these arts. I know I'm explaining this over and over, but I want to make sure that you get that because it, there is like a fine line, the difference between resisting something and allowing it. And I'm so glad that I had already done some of the emotions episodes before this so that it's basically I'm drilling it in your brain. Okay. All drinking events. Not only do you want to plan the events ahead of time, but you also want to write down, like write it on a piece of paper, like I'm going to go out next Friday night with girlfriends or with whoever, with your partner, whatever. And you want to write down the exact protocol, like what time you're going to start drinking, how many drinks you're going to have. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious about that. And then what time you'll stop drinking and all of the conditions. 
Also, like, I won't drive after, you know, blah, 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 all of the things. Okay. Right. The more specific, the better. So write that down. You can get like a notebook for that. Okay. Write down every last detail about it. Even if, so the way that I was taught it, that you can, even if you wanted to drink, my teacher says, even if you wanted to drink two bottles of wine, you, as long as you write it down, it's fine because you're using your planning brain to do this and you're doing it ahead of time. Okay. So it's all done within the prefrontal cortex. So you're very aware of what you're, you're getting ready to do. You've already planned it. And for a few reasons, this works really well. Okay. One, because obviously you're, you're making a very conscious decision to do something. So you're being mindful, right? And you're also staying, even though you've decided you're going to drink two bottles of wine. I mean, yeah, it may seem crazy, like irresponsible to plan for that. But when you're planning for that, you are still working within your prefrontal cortex. So you are planning it ahead of time and you're not at the effect of anything. Also, why this is good is because when you are so mindful about what you're going to do, then the chances of you having like a whole shame cycle and like the regret and all of the things during and afterwards are much lower, okay? And what usually gets us into an unhelpful cycle of behavior is during and after shaming ourselves and judging ourselves and doing all the things like, oh, God, I said I wasn't going to drink and here I am drinking, right? Which will set off an additional fuck it switch in you. And that fuck it switch will be like, oh, I told you that you couldn't do it. I knew I couldn't do it. I, of course I couldn't do it. You know, like that whole thing in your brain, right? And then that will keep push you farther and farther away from doing the things that you really want to do and showing up in your life the way that you really want to show up. But when you decide ahead of time, all right, so I'm going to drink two bottles of wine on that night. And you're really truly, you're making that decision 24 hours ahead of time. Because within that 24 hours, you could always be like, no, maybe I'm not going to. But even if you decide to go through with it, you still, that's a very conscious decision. Chances of you being, you know, Whoa, why did I decide to do this? Why did I blah, 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 blah? Your chances of hating yourself or judging yourself in it are so low. Okay. So it's for so many reasons. It's the way you want to do it. Okay. If you're choosing to drink. So plan it ahead of time. Write all of the details around it, no matter how many drinks you're going to have. Even if it's I'm drinking for the whole weekend because people are in town, that's fine. But still, Don't just make it like a whole blanket weekend and I'm going to drink for the whole weekend and who knows how many drinks I'm going to have. No. Can you see the difference between, oh, my friends are coming in town and we're going to just drink our faces off the whole weekend? The difference between that and, okay, so they're coming in town on Thursday morning and they're leaving on Monday morning. Okay. Thursday, I will have four drinks and the next day I'll have three drinks and whatever. The, The second way is much more specific. And you are still delegating, having agency over yourself and deciding ahead of time what exactly you're going to have. So the chances are you will be mindful while you're having the drinks, okay? Your friends don't even need to know that you're doing this. You can just decide ahead of time. And then when it comes to you're almost at your limit and somebody decides to buy you a drink, you can just be like, no, thanks. I'm good. I just prefer not to. I've had my limit, you know? Okay. Anyway. 
So, and the other argument will be, oh, well, when you've already had a, a certain number of drinks, then all of a sudden that's when you don't have control. And it is true. Your inhibitions will go down, right? And your judgment is poorer. And absolutely it is. And that is why if you plan it ahead, if you are so specific as to write it down too, because that's really important. Your brain will retain it and it'll be more on the forefront of your mind. When you've written down all the terms, the likelihood of you giving into it are much, much less, okay, than if you just sort of, you know, vaguely throw it out there. When you, the more vague, the higher the chance that you'll do the thing that you don't want to do. And if the reason that you're not drinking, you're choosing not to drink, is because you want a better quality of life, then you need to remind yourself of this in the moment and all throughout too. Oh, why are we doing this? That's right, because I do, I want a better quality of life. I don't want to numb myself through these situations that I really truly just want to move myself through, right? Because if you remember in the first part of this, I was talking about when we buffer, when we use drinking or eating or whatever, to, when we use numbing agents, what we're doing, life situations, we're making them bearable in the moment, right? You're able to endure them. But chances are you don't want to just endure life. I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast that you want to move through it and get to a better place, right? And the only way that you can actually feel better is to drop the thing that's making it more bearable, right? Drop the numbing agent so that you're able to see your current circumstances more clearly and get yourself through them and get, get yourself out of them. Okay. I think all of this is so important to keep in mind in the moment. Remind yourself why you're taking these steps. Also, I just think it's super fascinating to me anyway, but I am fascinated by the human mind and human behavior. I think it's super entertaining to watch your brain in action when it wants something. Watch what it'll come up with to try to coax me into doing the thing that I know I don't really want to do, right? Okay, so decide ahead of time all of the things, right? All of the terms for which you will engage in the drinking or the whatever, eating, whatever. Okay, so that is that. I told you I would tell you what I do. And that is that I chose to just take alcohol out of the equation for me, okay? And here's, well, for a few reasons. Of course, I wanted to regain custody back of my daughter, which I stopped drinking completely years ago and still don't have that because the goalposts moved, right? But then once I was already not drinking, I just actually genuinely prefer this way better. So, and now it's gotten to the point where it is my habit to not drink. Those triggers or those urges don't even occur to me now. Actually, there's been times, there's been a couple times where I've decided I was like going to go somewhere and I was like, maybe I will, maybe I'll even have a drink there. And then I'll get in that moment or the moment will be there and gone. I'll have gone to the event and completely forgotten about having a drink because it's not my default anymore. Does that make sense? Like, I'll be like, I want to drink. Like, I'll be like, oh yeah, I want to plan to drink. And then like, so I planned a drink. I'm like all excited. Like, yeah, I'm going to drink. I'm going to do that, you know, do the thing. And then I get to the event and then I forgot. I completely forget about it because my brain isn't wired that way anymore, which folks, 
is insane. I think I said, I don't know which which part it was, but I think I told you, I thought that I would always, forever, my whole life, for the rest of my life, I would always be fighting the urge, right? The desire to drink. And it's just not that way anymore. Now I'm like, like, oh, and there's been a couple of times where I did remember that I was like, oh yeah, I planned to drink. I planned to have a drink, right? And then when it comes up or it's offered to me, I'm like, oh, do I really even want it? Like, I, it's just not a thing for me anymore like it used to be. And I thought I would never, ever, ever see this day. I was thinking about this the other day. In fact, I passed somewhere and they had my old favorite beer there. And guys, I used to be a craft beer connoisseur. Like, you have no idea. I love me some craft beer. And they had Peacemaker, this kind of beer that I used to absolutely love. And I was like, oh my gosh, that. I For a moment there, I was like, had the, the reaction that I would have had back in the day. And then I was like, dude, I don't even think I would even like it anymore. And like, I just genuinely was like, no. But because the, my default has is now, my habit is not to drink anymore. And it doesn't, I don't miss it at all. So there's that. But when I first started doing this, it was much easier for me to take drinking out of the equation completely than to try to manage it, right? So if you ask me, if it's drinking that you are dealing with, you can't obviously do this with food, right? But if it's drinking that you are struggling with, I think it is much easier to eliminate the drinking completely, alcohol completely, and then later on add it in once your brain has learned to make not drinking your default, right? It is much leagues easier than doing it and trying to constantly manage your mind around having it and then not having it and then having it again. It, I think it's just so confusing because you're so used to having it in the equation. It's always in the equation, right? Your brain is always going to that as a default. And so when you're learning to do it opposite, I think, I think it's just too confusing for your brain, okay? But I know that is absolutely 1,000% possible for you to go to a place afterwards where you can drink mindfully if that's what you want to do. And I have friends that have done, gone straight from drinking to mindfully drinking to doing the protocol thing straight over. And they didn't have to stop completely. But if you ask me, I just think if it is such a habit for you that you can't imagine life without it and you think that it's more fun with it and all the things like your all of your activities are centered around it, then the way that I did it, I think is you're going to have a lot easier time getting there. And some people will get mad at that I'm saying, and that's okay. You can be mad at me. I would, be, I would have been mad at me too. I was. If you heard my, the first part of this, I was so pissed off at my teacher. Oh my God, I was so mad at her because I thought, how dare she? Like, I thought that she, this was like endangering people, that it was just wildly irresponsible of her, you know? But no, it's not the case. Not if you do it this way. And I, I mean, I am living proof that this actually works. And I'm living proof that alcohol doesn't control me and I am not a raging, addicted person without hope. Not at all. Like, that seems ridiculous now. But back then, I was scared 
that that was the truth. I really feared that I would always fight this. And that was a, a source of a lot of shame. And I have a feeling that for some of you, you're the same, where you feel like some part of you is bad or not worthy of your child or not worthy to parent your child in the way that you want or think that you should or all of those things, right? And let me just tell you that you are 100, 1,000% worthy of being your child's parent. You always have been and always will be, okay? And that also, I can almost guarantee that you can take the exact same steps as I took and be in a place where I am now, where you don't want it anymore. And there's nothing wrong or bad or broken about you because right now you might feel like it is more powerful than you, that your addiction is more powerful than you. But just because you have this addiction now does not mean that you can't turn it around. The whole idea that this is a disease and it's a lifetime disease and it's a family, all of those things, it's, I'm here to tell you that that is bullshit. Unless you are at the place, like I was saying before, unless you are at the place where you have already having cognitive distort, like you're having physical and mental side effects as a result of drinking or doing drugs. And if you are at that place, then you would not be able to, I think I said this too, you would not be able to hold this podcast episode would not be able to hold your attention, which it's debatable whether this would hold your attention anyway. But truly, you would not be in a place to focus on or retain any of the information here. And on the other side of the same exact coin, I just also think it's very important to say that if you feel like you are physically addicted right? And that you do have DTs or you experience any sort of physical detox symptoms when you do not have a drink, then please, 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 please go and have that medically monitored. Have your detox be medically monitored. I do not just cold turkey. I think that goes without saying, but I, I, I feel like it wouldn't be responsible of me to not say it, okay? That's a different thing. When your body is physically dependent on alcohol, that is also most of the time temporary. Let me just say that, okay? You can still come through on the other side. If you can, if AA works for you, then this will work for you. In fact, this will work that much better. But, 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 if you are physically dependent at this moment, please, please, please do not just stop without having it medically supervised. Okay. Okay. That's all I have to say. Thanks so much for listening today, guys. I am so elated that you've chosen to share your time with me. You can find me on Instagram at Beyond the High Road Coaching. And you can also visit my website. If you liked what you heard today and you would like to hear more, please click subscribe so that you can be notified of new episodes. And um, thanks again, y'all. You are already in my heart. Till next time.